because I think if you don't make a decision about what you want to be or do with your life and have a plan, you ultimately end up taking someone else's path. And I feel like oftentimes as people, especially women, we have a tendency to go for what somebody else wants us to be rather than what we want to be. It breaks my heart because we deserve so much more. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Lauren Reidinger, to our show today. Lauren is the co-founder of internet retailing giant Shop.com and Market America. Although Lauren is an internet mogul who has changed the face of the beauty and e-commerce industries over the past two decades, her life started with very humble beginnings. She moved to Greensboro, North Carolina at a young age, worked in retail when she was 16 because she always had a fascination for fashion. And at 18, Lauren and her husband, JR, took a chance on their dream to make it easy for people to shop online. Believe it or not, at a time when everybody thought that idea was crazy and impossible. 29 years later, their companies Market America and Shop.com generate over a billion dollars in annual sales and serve over 10 million customers. The company is still headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, and is quite global with offices in nine other countries. Lauren also founded the award-winning cosmetics line Motives and is recognized for her work in publications like Forbes, Elle, and Vogue, where she was included in their 100 Most Influential Women issue. Outside of being a serial entrepreneur, Lauren is most proud of her efforts, working with people and empowering them to achieve their goals and their dreams. She is incredibly active in many charitable causes and is passionate about entrepreneurship and women's empowerment, all key themes of the Behind Her Empire podcast. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you, sweetie. It's so great to be with you, Jasmine. I'm really happy to be here. Yes. And I know we talked about this before your interview, but I've heard you speak in a few different forums and I am just so inspired. And I just want to thank you for what you're doing for women in business and paving the way for us. So thank you for being such an incredible role model to us all. You are so sweet. Well, you're doing that too. You're sharing information about people everywhere. And that's so important. And I think it's important for us ladies to stick together because there's not enough of us that are actually doing that, right? Where everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And when people can get together and support each other, it's always so much better. Exactly. No. And, you know, we'll get into that in the interview, just how important it is for you to have a great tribe around you and lift everybody up and the world is abundant. And I just love the way you think about it. Cause I think it's great for everybody to think that way since there's so much potential. So it's really true. I'd love to start from the beginning. You've talked so much about your relationship with your mother and how much of an impact she had on you and the way she raised you. So I'd love to hear more about your childhood and life growing up. She was amazing. I mean, my mom passed away, unfortunately, at a very young age, 42 years old. I think I was 21 at the time. I was pretty destroyed. I don't think you ever really prepare to lose your mom. Your mom's like your mom, the glue of the family, the one who kind of holds it all together keeps everything together. You know, we all fight because I have, there's four of us in our family. I have two brothers and a sister. Everybody always thought they were the favorite. You know what I mean? You're yeah. like, oh, I'm the favorite. Oh, she told me I was the favorite. And I think she was just one of those women who, no matter what, it was positive. You know, she made you believe you could be anything you wanted to be, accomplish anything you wanted to do. And I thought that was amazing because her whole life, she just wanted to be a mom. 
And when I say just be a mom, I say that with the greatest respect because it's probably the hardest job we ever have as women is to successfully raise children whom we love. And nobody get, you know, you get a, a manual for or a license for how to drive a car, you get a license for having a marriage, but nobody gives you any information on how to raise a kid. And, you know, those are always the most challenging things. And somehow or another, she just naturally did it perfectly. The most challenging, hardest job. And I always say anybody who is a full-time mom actually probably puts in more time than most of us are out there building an empire because it really takes incredible patience and a trait that a lot of us lack. That's my worst trait of all. So, you know, I know what my weaknesses are, but she was just remarkable, just an incredible person and, and, you know, the person who moved me in so many ways. I remember as in school, she would never say, oh, you're cute, Lauren, you're pretty. She'd say, you're so smart. You're so bright. You know, looks aren't anything. Looks aren't important. What's important is what's in here, what's in here, in your heart, in your head. And, you know, I used to say, well, you know, that's true, but it's okay to be cute too. And she'd be like, no, that's not what's important, Lauren, because she always used to worry, like, God forbid, something got hurt in an accident. She didn't want you to be focused on the wrong things. And I think from that moment, I remember like what kind of woman she was like, you know, you think about vanity is so important to so many people and you realize how unimportant it really is when it comes to the real picture of life health. And that's really what wealth is. Right. And, you know, having our health and love and she was a representation of all of that. The problem was she just didn't take care of herself. And, you know, she put her children first and, you know, she had a massive heart attack of 42, but I'm so grateful for the wisdom and the love and the knowledge that she instilled in me. And I still believe to this day that if it wasn't for her, you know, I wouldn't have known how to be a mom because she really instilled in me, like, we're not perfect. We try our best. My daughter was seven months old when my mom passed away. And I remember thinking, how could this happen? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to take care of this child. (laughs) You know, I was struggling. But all I kept hearing her on the back of my mind say was, you can do this. You can do this. And that's how I got through it. And it was hard because we didn't have any money at the time. It wasn't like I could go hire a nanny. You know, I was in the middle of building a business. So for me, it was more about like, okay, you got to get up in the morning, put that kid on your back, put a knapsack on, go to the office, take her with me. And everybody around the office would take turns taking care of Amber. We'd move this playpen around the office. And I think about, you know, obviously the only thing I would ever change is, is that we didn't lose her at such a young age. But I wouldn't change the experience we went through, what we had to do to get where we are today. When I think about the challenges, you know, we started our company of April 1st, 1992, and my mom died April 29th, 1993. So it was, you know, a year into my business, which that first year is critical, right? From before (laughs) starting the first year, you just want to throw in the towel. You're like... Yo, this isn't going to work. <laughs> what am I going to do? I can't make this happen. And then you realize, like, if I just don't quit right now, I'm almost there. Mm-hmm. She was just an uplifting spirit in my life who made us all believe. And even all my friends, they all thought they were the favorite. So I think, you know, when you have a mom, it's truly, you know, for some, it's their dad in their home. For me, it was my mom because my dad was the strict one, the one that you know, we would lie to if we would, if we did anything bad because we didn't want to be caught. But she was the one who always made us feel like we were worth everything. 
Well, she sounds magical and you're definitely an offspring of hers because I feel like that's what you bring to the world and your business and your family, just that light and the optimism. It's interesting because you mentioned your dad and how he was a strict one. And I'm curious at a young age, having one parent who really pushed you to believe in anything you wanted to do. And I know your father had aspirations for you to, for example, be a flight attendant. Like for him, that was, you've made it. So how did you kind of deal with both parents and realize what you wanted to bring to life? outside of their expectations. What's interesting is, I mean, I'm grateful that all four of us turned out to be amazing. And I'm grateful that my parents didn't have to struggle with one of us having addictions or problems. All four of us were like our born entrepreneurs. You know, we all worked together at our company and I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful. So I guess the yin and yang of it really did work. However, it did teach me a lot about parenting. Like for instance, The fact that my father was so opposite of my mom, like it was like, you do it this way. He more instilled, and I love him, you know, I think as a, he died at a young age too, at 62, but I think as children, when you don't hold grudges against your parents and you forgive them for their flaws, because you realize that they're human just like us, and they give the best that they know how to give. I mean, they're doing the best they can. They're not doing anything bad. It's they're doing what they know how to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think for my dad, being tough and coming from a strong family was the only thing he knew how to do. So parenting with not so much love, but more instilling fear is in a way I wanted to raise my daughter. But it's certainly, I'm grateful that it worked out for all four of us, but it's not what I recommend it's not what I did. And I think it took my mom passing away for him to drastically change, you know, which is interesting to see how people react to death so differently than when people are living, you know, and that's why I always tell people live the dash because that's all that matters. That date between your birth date and your death date. The only thing that matters is that dash. And I think my dad was so strict. He wanted me to be a flight attendant because he thought for sure I was going to be nothing. He was like, well, you think you're going to be rich and you know, make a lot of money one day and grow up and live in a great house and all the things that I've done today and accomplished myself, you know, not by marrying a rich man, but by marrying a poor man, we ended up making it together. And, you know, I went to that job interview at 18. I was traumatized. Yasmin. I was thinking, how am I going to do something I don't want to do? You know, there was like literally had to be 800 people in line. And I thought, I'll never get this job. And that's back in the day where you had to be prim and proper, the red lipstick, the pretty girl, skinny, perfect shape to be a flight attendant. Very, you know, it's a terrible stereotype. And I got the job. Oh, really? I was miserable. I thought, how am I going to tell my dad I don't want this job? I don't want to be a flight attendant. I'm afraid to fly. But I fly every week now. It's just, I'm afraid to fly in a plane. I can't talk to somebody. So I got that job and I told my mom, mom, I can't take this job. I'm afraid it was with Eastern Airlines back in the day, long before your time. She said, well, just go through the training. We'll tell them later. My mom was always the one like making sure everybody would stay calm. No worries, we'll handle it. Go through the training. I said, well, mom, the training's in Atlanta. I don't want to go to Atlanta, but just go for four weeks for me and then I'll help you handle it. And her way of helping me handling it was probably something funny, like making up a fake letter saying that I didn't, you know, that they canceled. She was probably scheming in her mind how she was going to, and tell. But what do you know it after I came back from training four weeks later in Atlanta, 
I got home, opened up my mailbox, and there was a letter from Eastern Airlines saying they were going out of business. No way. <laughs> I was so grateful. And they said, you can be hired by these other two airlines, which I won't mention now because they are still well-known. And you can be hired by these two other airlines if you want, call this number. I've whited that part out, made a copy of that letter, gave it to my dad and told him, that's it, the job's over. And I met my husband a few weeks later and everything falls into place. But you know, it was it was at a crossroads in my life because I think if you don't make a decision about what you wanna be or do with your life and have a plan, you ultimately end up taking someone else's path. And I'm so glad that that happened because it stands out in my mind as a defining moment of choosing to be authentically myself or choosing to be the person that somebody else wanted me to be. And I feel like oftentimes as people, especially women, we have a tendency to go for what somebody else wants us to be rather than what we want to be. It breaks my heart because we deserve so much more, you know, but we don't do it and it's heartbreaking. So I'm so glad it worked out. And I'm sure my mom was scheming about what we were going to say. And I, she was probably worried that I was just going to come in and throw my hands up and say, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm definitely not taking this job because I was definitely going to make a decision to do what I wanted to do. But it all worked out that I didn't have to hurt his feelings. And I still got to be on the path I wanted to be on. But that's what's so important in the message that we make those decisions ourselves, you know? Absolutely. And it's so beautiful to see that you, you know, eventually came around to staying true to who you are, because I feel like, as you mentioned, once you met your husband, JR, and you both have really dialed into only doing things that light you up and is true. And that's how you've built this big business. And going back to that time, you know, you mentioned you and JR, when you were dating, both of you didn't have money. I think you got a job at Sears, which actually was very amazing at the time. And you were getting paid well. Where did the idea of Market America shop.com come about when at the time, most people didn't even use the internet, right? In their homes. They didn't have a computer. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't have a computer. And you're right. I think it was the day that, and I remember it profoundly, you know, my husband came in to myself and my, my brother and my younger brother as well as my sister who all work with the company said, Hey, people are going to buy their clothes online one day. And we all looked at it. We're like, (laughs) going to buy their shoes online one day. People are going to buy their makeup online one day. And I said, how? And he said, through a computer, they're going to buy it. You're going to see us. Well, most people don't even have a computer. And when we did have a computer back then, it was through dial up. You know, you wouldn't understand what dial up, but it's when you know, I was there. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It was so slow. And, you know, so most people went to the library to use the computer. Those people who grew up with me know like the Dewey decimal system. You know, when you go to the library and look something up, we didn't have Google. When we started, I thought, this is crazy. Nobody has a computer. How are they going to shop? But then he talked about how they would be able to search online for all the products they wanted. And we visualized it. And I think vision is one of the biggest keys to success, manifesting what you believe will happen. And he clearly was convinced. And I think the cool thing about that is, is that he convinced us. And when you convince somebody and you really convince them with their soul, because I truly believe that sometimes we surround ourselves with the wrong people and our mind gets so clogged up. You know, we get so congested with nonsense. And when we were young, we would be able to accomplish anything. Everybody wanted to be a superhero or or Wonder Woman. You know, I wanted to be Wonder Woman with the bracelets, you know? But when we get older, we stop dreaming. 
And back then, nothing could stop us from dreaming. So when he told us that we believed him completely and we went to work, like, you know what? One day people are going to buy online. One day people are going to shop online. Let's go find the products. And as we tried to do that, we started to hit a lot of no's because who wanted to sell products to people who couldn't even sell them to people because they didn't have a computer? And I don't want to give you my products to sell because you don't have any customers. And we said, well, one day we're going to have millions of customers because today we have 3 million registered customers, 6 million customers who shop once in a while. And I thought, we're going to have millions of customers one day. Give us your product. Nope, 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 nope. But for some reason, I think my mom's positivity led me in life to believe that when somebody said no, it was okay. One day I would come across somebody who would say yes. And our mind was convinced that as many no's as we got, soon enough, we would get as many yeses. And that's what happened. That's incredible. And one thing you've talked about is a big mantra of yours, which you just mentioned is success is just around the corner. So when you think you're going to fail, you just need to tie a knot and hang on to that rope. And I know in the first few years of bringing Market America to life, you faced a lot of rejection. So it seems like you just had that internal optimism that you will make it work. But at what point did you realize there's something here? You got your first yes. What was the inflection point for you and JR? It's so funny because you said it, it's when you get that first yes, right? So I remember very clearly, we weren't getting any yeses. We didn't have any great products. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, yes, we could sell their product that was a stop smoking product. I'll never forget it. It was the worst product on the planet, Yasmin. It didn't (laughs) even work. It didn't even work. It didn't matter. Yes. What it did do was instill belief. So it wasn't about the product. We didn't sell it for very long. We realized very quickly it didn't work. But what it did do was it reminded us that belief is everything. And that believing in yourself that you will get a yes one day made all the difference in the world. And so that was really a game-changing point because you're like, okay, it wasn't the right one, but it can happen. It will happen. And nothing really stopped us. And I feel like it was a game-changer because you give somebody just a little bit and they can tie a knot, like I say, at the end of that rope and hold on and don't let go. Because most people think about it, Yasmin, you know, you're building this empire on your own. And when you do that, people get inspired by what you're doing, but it wasn't easy to get your first interview. No, got a lot of no's. Yeah, you get a lot of no's. But the thing is you don't quit. And what happens with most, they throw in the towel and quit. And they never get to see their passion project. Like you said, this is my passion project when we started. That's what it's about. If you don't have passion for it, it's never going to work anyway. So for you, for me, for people who understand that it's okay to get a lot of no's because you're going to get a yes, you can make it through anything. Absolutely. And you know, you talked about how it's so important to have the right tribe around you, people who believe anything is possible. And I think you've cultivated that very early on. And I believe you talk about how it's okay to do mental, I forgot the exact terminology. Vacations, mental vacations. Mental vacations. I'd love for you to talk about that because I do think who you're with really impacts what you bring to life and how you bring certain things to life. So think about this. So we all from a young age, right? You know, we have this group of friends. And then some of us carry those friends with us. And then some of us just don't. For me, it was really about checking my circle at an early age and seeing, and it's funny because when you do that now, you can actually see it happen to your own children as they grow. Think about that. So, you know, when I was younger, I had to really check my friends after I graduated and met my husband because I was thinking, who are the ones who want me to make it? Who are the ones who want me to succeed? Who are the ones that want me to stay behind with them, not to leave them? 
well, what am I going to do without you? You know, and you start to realize, mm, you know what? I'm only going to surround myself with people who actually want me to make it, who want me to succeed, who elevate me, who I can push to be their best. They can push me to be my best. And sometimes you realize, and it's a harsh reality that there's not that many of them. And so you gently have to cut them out of your life without feeling guilt and understanding that they will give you the scissors. You just have to take the cue and do it. You have to say, you know what? If I cut you out of my life, chances are you gave me the scissors. You didn't treat me properly. You pushed me out of the way. You wanted me to stay back with you and I don't want to stay here. I want to go there. That's where I want to go. And you're welcome to come with me, but I don't have a leash to drag you along. I got to have somebody who wants to run with me. Stay right with me. Help take the lead sometimes. I need somebody to follow because we all have moments, right? But it's hard for people to do that. They don't know how to do that because generally what happens is it's somebody we love. It's somebody we love. It could be a family member, a brother, a best friend, a sister, a mother, a father. And my dad was that negative guy in the beginning when I was first starting to make it. And I literally took a mental vacation from him. Literally took a mental vacation. That would mean like instead of me, and there was no cell phone business back then. We didn't text and stuff. But that would be like, hey, dad, I'm in the middle of a call. Are you okay? Okay, good. I love you so much. I'll check in with you later. Bam. Like not allowing any room for him to say, oh, you're still trying to make that internet stuff happen you know and or it would be a friend who would be like well you should just stay back here with us we're all going to start a real estate company together great i hope you guys become the biggest and the best you know but i'm doing this well nobody does that lauren nobody even has computers i understand but one day they will and i needed people to do that with me so it took almost cutting out everyone except my brothers and sisters and it was really challenging because it's not easy that's why they always say being at the top is lonely because you generally are often on a journey by yourself. And I didn't understand that when it happened because I didn't let it affect me. I knew that my heart was good. My soul was good. It didn't mean I didn't love them. You can still love people from afar and you can always come back to them and remind them how much you love them. And you just have to sometimes be honest and tell people, you know what? I got to take a mental vacation from you. It's not that I don't love you. It's my mind's in a different place and I got to get where I'm going. And the only way I know how to do this is to really be positive and kind of take a mental break from everyone. And people get it. They get it. And I can't tell you how many people have written to me back over the years and said, oh, congratulations on your success. And they'll always throw in like, oh, I knew you would make it. And you're like, yeah, you were the person who was telling me what a failure I was going to be. But it's fine. There's room for everybody. My point is this. It's the hardest thing that most people will have to do, which is why they don't do it, which is why most people don't succeed. I always say it's so much easier to succeed than people realize if they literally cut out the people in their lives who are negative, who aren't going to help them get where they need to go, if they're not going to do that, the chances of success are almost nothing. You cannot make it with a tribe who doesn't push you, elevate you, accelerate you, and help lead sometimes. You know, and my tribe has been so small for years. You know, people say, oh my God, you have all these celebrity friends, Jennifer Lopez and Eva Longoria and all these people. And they're all my best friends. That's true. But I have like a circle of a lot of different people. They're not all celebrities, but I'll tell you this. They all have a common trait. And that trait is that they elevate and they push and they accelerate you and they'll lead when you need them to. They all have that same trait in them. And I choose to be that type of friend also. You have to give what you expect. 
So I have all these wonderful women and men in my life, but I also give back the same way. So when there's a moment where things aren't good, you know, I'm the first person on the phone. Hey, you know, I just want to remind you, everybody loves you. How are you feeling? I know you're going through a breakup right now. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know that we're here if you need us. I don't want to bother you to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm here to listen, here for a shoulder for the crime, or I'm here to just go out and have a good laugh. And you know, when you have friends like that, they appreciate that because sometimes people just aren't ready to talk. And so I think the checking the circles, the most critical thing for success. And I think it's critical because you and I both know they won't do it. And that's sad because here's what happens. That commitment level that you need in order to succeed doesn't happen. Why? Because you know you won't keep your own commitment. You could say, here's what I'm going to do. That's why I hate New Year's Eve resolutions. Because yeah. people are like, oh my God, here's my New Year's Eve resolutions. I'm going to go for, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to just work harder. I'm going to, you know, achieve hitting more goals, making more money. And then what happens is the first 10 days of the new year start and you haven't hit anything. You haven't even stuck to your goals. And the only commitment you make is breaking it. The same thing you've done year after year. So for me, I do something different. I do goals every day. Every day I write down on a sticky note. I have sticky notes all over my desk. Yeah, like me. You can't stand, but they cover my whole house. Because why? Because once I'm done, I take that and I throw it away. Nothing like feeling good about being able to take those notes and put them in the trash so you can see how much you accomplished. And so for me, it's a way to keep myself accountable. But all of those things, right? Keep us in line to get where we want to be. There's so much I want to unpack there. You know, one of them, there's two points. So one of them in the beginning of the interview, we joked, but it's true. You know, the first year, first few years of getting a business off the ground, when you don't get the accolades, when you're getting rejection, when it's just you and the belief, it's really tough. And I've noticed, you know, having the right people around me, I feel so grateful. That's the only way I've still been trucking along, bringing these different passions to life. And hopefully through these podcasts, we can serve that for other people who might not have that in the network. So luckily I feel like now you can pull that from different things that is available. And I've watched some of yours. So you're doing that. That's the point. The fact that you're bringing that to people, you couldn't bring that if you didn't feel it, if you didn't believe it, but you're part of that. That's who you are. So if, if that's not who you are, how can you do it? Absolutely. Another thing you mentioned, you know, sticky notes. I'm chuckling because I literally have sticky notes all over my desk. (laughs) One thing you talk about is, which I love, is do the hard things first, right? Especially a woman at your level who has multiple businesses under, who still takes time to mentor people. You know, you still accomplish so much. So I'd love to kind of hear how you think about your day and how you goal set to get what is important done. It's really amazing. I think sometimes I think I should just like It's in my head. It's like a patented little system in my head, but I do literally tackle the hardest things first. So I don't sleep very well. I go to bed three or four o'clock every single morning, which is crazy. I know. And I need to figure out how to sleep better. I'm up by 830, 8.30 in the morning before I go to bed. I spend the time writing down everything I have to do the next morning. That's critical. Now, even though it's in here, you must commit it to paper. And so I love sticky notes because I can see them and they keep me on track. So I put it down on the sticky notes, what I have to do every single night before bed. When I wake up in the morning, my blueprint for success is right in front of me. They're the hardest things. They're the things that most people avoid. It's the phone call that you need to make that 
tells you like, hey, I need to have a conference call with my vendors and tell them, look, let's adjust the pricing. It's not a call that you want to have. It's not a call that you want to have you enjoy doing, but it's like, okay, folks, this is where we need to be. Our pricing's off. Let's figure out a way to get together on this price. Let's do the hard things first. Okay, here's another one. May have to let somebody go that's part of the team that's not performing. Okay, here's another one. Maybe this one is, you know, having a group meeting about team not hitting their goals or the things we have to do to hit their goals. What are we doing? What are we missing? Let's analyze ourselves and what's happening along the way. The hard things always happen first here. Why? Because once I do that, I'm free. So it doesn't, I don't have to track hours. I hate hours. The only thing we can't control is time. So the one thing I wanna make sure I do is manage it well. I can't control that the day's going by. I'll never be able to get that time back, but I do wanna manage it well. So the more, if I do the hardest things first, generally by noon, I'm finished. Like today, I nailed it from eight to noon before you and I jumped on this call. I got all the hard things done. So after at 12, when I get on with you, I can relax. I don't have to stress. I don't have to worry about what's outside the door waiting for me. Certainly there's always an emergency somewhere along the line, but I'm pretty much in control of my day. So guess what? If my grandkids say, hey, Mimi, we want you to go play with us outside. I can stop what I'm doing and go do it because the tough things are done. I can throw them away, I'm finished. And guess what? Those hard things, all of them help me achieve the goals that are on my list. When I say the hard things, it's the work that goes behind the process, You know that whole process that it takes to get successful. It's successful. For instance, when I'm on stage speaking, we just finished a convention a few weeks ago. When I'm on stage speaking and people are like, I don't know how you do that. How do you go up there and you talk in front of all these thousands of people? There's 20 20,000 people in the audience. How do you do that? And I said, well, that's the easy part. The hard part is the work it took to get up here, putting together my presentation, talking to you about how I'm going to get into your mind and reprogram your brain to achieve success. Those are the hard things. How will you respond to me? Will you listen to me? Will you open up your mind? That's where the work is, the process. Nobody wants to do the process. Showing up on stage is the easy part. <laughs> I know it might be fearful for some, but it's the easy part for me. The hard work part is the work that goes behind to become successful. So everybody wants the rewards, but they don't want the risk. Everybody wants the rainbow, but they don't want the rain. Everybody wants a strong relationship, but they don't want to put in the work that it takes to make them. People are like, oh, how have you been married for 30 years? I work at it every single day. Every single day I manage it. Does that mean I'm perfect at it? No, I'm the worst when it comes to patience. I lose my mind. I'm like, did I not tell you that 500 times, honey? You know what I mean? You're like, yo, I told you this 500 times, but you got to work at it. And then sometimes you just, I read self affirmation books. I'll read books on how to become a better, more patient person. I'm always working on improving who I am yesterday. I'm a better version of me today. Always. And I think people stop growing. They stop learning. They live in this bubble, Yasmin. They live in a bubble and they think they know everything. It's like, yeah, and it frustrates me because sometimes I'll even have to say to my husband, like, yo, stop. We don't know everything. Let's burst the bubble. Let's learn more. And I think we have to remind each other that we may be really good at certain things, but we don't know everything. And I always want to keep an open mind and learn, especially from our youth, especially from the youth, because I have a lot to teach them, but God, I have a lot more to learn. I have so much more to learn. And I think when you live in a bubble and you pretend that you know everything, you're going to suffer at some point gonna suffer so you better open up your mind and pay attention to all the great people out there who have so much to offer I learned from everyone and I think that's critical 
you know, I just do. Hard things first. Hard things first will lead us to where we want to go. When I'm determined, I have a goal. Let me tell you something. I write it down. I put a date to everything. Without a date, it's not real. It Amen. Doesn't right? You <laughs> that is really that important. Date. You have to put that date down. If you don't put that date down, it doesn't exist. You need a date because it really makes it exist. Otherwise, you can't measure it. So I always say you have to write down those goals. What do you have to do each day, each week, each month to hit those goals? I know if I'm working on a project, let me tell you something. I'll, I may assign my team to help me with something, but in my mind, I know the hard part will all fall on me because if they don't do it, I'm going to. And I think when you think that way, everything changes. You're like, nothing can stop me. My husband always, he, he always tells me if there's a hard project, I'm giving it to you. Because, you know, we have 900 people in our organization worldwide, 800 people work at the, the North Carolina office. And he always tells me if there's a hard project, I'm going to give it to you. Why? Because he knows I'm going to hit it because I get determined. I'm not going to let myself down. See, I don't think about it as I don't want to let Yasmin down. I don't want to let JR down. I don't want to let my kids down or my coworkers down. I don't want to let me down. I love myself enough and respect myself enough not to take on a project that I cannot succeed at. So I know if I'm going to take on something, I'm 100% there. I already know I'm going to make it. So I just write down the steps and I stick with it. And by the way, I think in weeks instead of days, most often, and here's why. So if I tell myself, okay, this is what I want to do right now. Let me take an easy project. So if I was not working on let me take a personal project so it's not related to business. But if, if I were taking a, a personal project and say, okay, well, here's what I want to do. My intentions are to have this entire office cleaned out in one month from now. And I'm going to do at least five cabinets a day, every day, you know, this week. Well, guess what? If I messed up this day or something happened, life, some emergency gets in the way. Guess what? If I can't do it today, tomorrow I'll do 10 instead of five. And you have a way to make it up so you don't get so frustrated if you don't hit that goal. And so sometimes I tell people, think in weeks and not days because you can actually make up for it. It's like if you're running a marathon and you don't get to run every day that mile that you set out for. I'm going to run a mile today, three miles tomorrow, five miles tomorrow. Well, guess what? If you didn't get to run the first and second day, you got to make it up on the third day. But you have a whole week to fit it in. So instead of making excuses, well, Monday got messed up and my girlfriend and her boyfriend were fighting and I was on the phone with her all day and we get sucked into nonsense. I just don't do that. So I set my goals. I know what they are and they're written down. Guess what? On another sticky note. And why? Because I have to look at it every single day. And you know what? You're like me. So after a while, you get tired of looking at the sticky notes, but the only way you can remove them is if you do them. So if you get to the point where you realize like, I'm going to remove these sticky notes only because I've done the work. Then you don't mind using them. So that's what happens. I use the sticky notes. And then when I'm done, I remember and adjust my goals all the time. Meaning some things I might have done a lot faster than I expect. So my goal date may move up. My launch date may move up. When I was doing Instagram influencers back with Modus Cosmetics back in 2013, I didn't have anybody to work on my team. Even though we had people at the office, I didn't have anybody help me figure out how I was going to talk to. There was no such thing as influencers back then. I really believe that Motos led the charge on that. People like Desi and Emrezi and all those girls, they were at my home. I was interacting with them and they all say like, you really knew how to treat women. That's because I would have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. I didn't rely on other people to do the work.
I did it. I was having the conversation. And so it's different today. You know, I'm much more of a one-on-one type of gal than I am somebody, I don't want to put my team on you. So if I commit to something, watch out, I'm going there, you know? Absolutely. And one thing I think very successful entrepreneurs do, and clearly this is a common theme in your whole life, is showing up when things are uncomfortable and hard, right? Like you are hitting that up in the beginning and a lot of people shy away from how they're going to feel with that uncomfortable conversation. I think you you genuinely cannot reach any level of success and fulfillment if you don't put yourself through the ringer of difficult moments. And it's just, it's comforting to see that even at your level, you are still putting yourself in those situations and you're still growing. As you just said, there's no way to succeed without dealing with confrontation, uncomfortable moments. You've got to take a step out of the comfort zone. And most people don't want to do that. They want to live in this little box that they've created their whole life that people won't, they, they feel if I stay within this, people won't judge me because I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> people won't say anything because they won't see me. You know, people won't question whether I made it or not because they don't see me. I haven't left my box. And they think that's the comfort zone when really it's the uncomfortable zone. And they don't understand that. And yet they live in this box because they're afraid to take one single step outside the lines and go live free. They don't want to do that because they think it's more comfortable to be inside. Why? Because they're worried about what other people think. And it's a joke because if they only realize how little people really do think, exactly, they would finally exactly. do something. It's yeah, like, no one's talking oh, about you. I'm not even, by the way, I'm not thinking about you. And then the <laughs> other thing that they're disappointed in is that they know they won't do it. In their mind, think about it. Like you could commit yourself to a project and you know you're going to do it. I can already tell you're that girl. You're going to do it. You're not going to take it on unless you do it, period. You're committed to it. You're going to feel passionate about it. When you open up this call with me, you go, this is my passion project, Lauren. When you say this is my passion project, everything you touch is your passion project. That's what that means to me. You're not going to do any work that you're not passionate about. Meaning if you go, do you have children? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Well, if you're, are you married yet? I have a fiance. Okay. You put your passion in your relationship. You put your passion in your work. You put passion in the interviews you do. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're touching it with passion. And that's the difference. Most people will do as little as they need to do to get by. Why? Because they don't want anyone to judge them. They don't want to judge themselves. So what happens is it's easier for them to do nothing instead of realizing that it's so much easier to take one step one single little step outside the box where nobody's really judging them. And you get to determine the limits. You get to determine the time you spend on it. And the only person who can judge you is you. But they won't try that. And if they did, they would be free. That's why I say most people don't realize how easy it is to be successful. It really is. But most people don't want to show up for the work. Like you said, they don't want to show up. They don't want to do the process. They want to be on stage but they don't want to do the hard work behind the stage. They want to be like you with the microphone in front of them, but they won't pick up the phone and make the phone call and say, hey, can you do this interview with me? They don't want somebody to tell them no. Most people won't put the passion in behind it. And that's why they never make it. And what I've realized is people are going to have opinions about you, whether you stay in your comfort zone or you don't (laughs) stay in your comfort zone. So just you do you. (laughs) You do you. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. Doesn't matter. Right? true. And I always say like, unless you you can give me your opinion or don't have to give me your opinion, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change how I'm going to operate. It doesn't change what I'm thinking, what I'm willing to do. 
you know, I think that people, they get so stuck on the dot and there's no reason to get stuck on the dot when they really realize how much they can really do without being judged and that the world needs that super talent that they have, that they have hidden deep inside of them. And people go back to dreaming like they used to when they were young kids and put on their superhero capes and realize that it's okay to dream again and try. It doesn't matter your age, your education, how much money you have in the bank. I never went to college. Never. The closest thing I've ever been to college was teaching it at it. I teach at the entrepreneurial schools at University of Miami and different places. Why? Because nobody ever talked about being an entrepreneur before. So for me, it's like I do what I do because I do, like you said, with passion. I do it because I want to do it. And I think when you love what you do, there's no fine line between work and play because everything is one. People say, oh, my God, it seems like you work all the time. No, I play all the time. I love what I do. I'm always playing. Sure. There's a few hours in the morning. I knock out all the hard stuff. By the way, that hard stuff takes me exactly where I need to be. And that's why I'm sitting at this desk today. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love that. And, you know, one thing that I realized in my own journey, I was in the world of finance and the tech world, and we put in a lot of hours to get anything done. And in the world of entrepreneurship, to your point, it's not even an hours game. Of course, you're always working, but it's like, what are the big goals? What are the tough things that are actually going to move the needle? Right. And you don't feel burnout. So I've learned that the hard way. So I'm glad you're bringing up all these things because I think it's powerful for our listeners because they're just realizing how to think about different projects. It could be a business. It could be a passion project and how to really bring it to life at scale. So I think that's really critical. I think it's so critical because we're so focused on the clock. Uh, how much time is this going to take? And you're like, yo, that clock is not going to stop, but maybe you should do something with it. You know what I mean? Maybe you should do something with that life. It's heartbreaking because, you know, you get to these end of people's lives and I've seen it happen with many people. I know. And they're like, I wish I did more. I wish I spent more time doing more to help others and helping myself and to change my life. And I didn't do it. And you're sad because time's up for them. And we're all standing in that line. We're all standing in the line and we're all going to go. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. And I always tell people, you don't know when you're going to get called to the front. You don't know when God's going to call you to the front of the line and say your time's up. So while you're standing in line, you better be doing something with that time. I think about that every day. You know, I think about every day. Do I want, I never go to bed mad. Another rule of mine, never go to bed mad. You know, mad at your fiance, tell him you love him before you go to bed, no matter what. Why? Because you don't know what'll happen the next day. So I make sure that I always tell people how much I love them every single day because nobody promises tomorrow for us. Absolutely. And I know, you know, this reminds me, I know you went through a pretty big health journey in your early forties. You had a brain aneurysm. And I mean, that is huge. I'd love to hear more about that and really how you overcame just such a difficult moment in your life. When I think about that one, Yasmin, that was probably one of the most shocking times of my life because I was sitting at my desk like I am right now. I was on the phone and I remember my jaw starting to hurt. And so as women, we're taught, like, I don't know if most women know this, but when your jaw hurts, it can mean you're having a heart attack. And I thought, am I having a heart attack? And I was like, this is so strange. But then when my jaw started to hurt, my face started to feel like I was having electric pulses in my head. And I thought, this is so strange. And I could not focus on the call I was on. I hung up the call and in my conference call, went and laid on the couch. My husband was like, don't worry, maybe it's a panic attack because I was known to have panic attacks because I never stop. And, you know, I don't sleep that much. I was like, no, it's not a panic attack. It's different. He was like, maybe, you know what, we'll call a doctor. There's a doctor in the building. We had a doctor come up. He was like, oh, you're fine. She's having a panic attack. Take a Xanax, whatever. He was an idiot, honestly, because I slept for 12 hours. I fell asleep for 12 hours after like three hours of constant 
this pain that was happening in my job. I woke up, I went to the doctors. I told my husband, I'm not going to let another day go without investigating what that is. And I'm the girl who hates the doctors. I hate yeah, the yeah. doctors, Same. hate the waste of time. Don't want to, I always feel like every time I'm going, I'm dying of something. I don't want to hear it. So I'm the most positive person. So if you don't tell me it, I don't know it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I got to the doctors and they told me, nope, we don't see anything. And I called my doctor. I said, hey, they just did this test. They don't see anything in my brain. But I got to tell you something. There was something going on in my brain. Does an MRI show what's happening in my arteries? He said, no, you should probably do what's called an MRA. So go back in there and I'll call them and tell them to give you an MRI. Within 15 minutes, they told me I had a massive brain aneurysm in the center of my brain and that it was beginning to leak. And I thought, hmm, but it hadn't burst, which, you know, most people we hear about, they just drop dead on the, you know, they come out of the shower, they flip their head over and they fall out. And that's how we hear about it. And it's a horrible thing. And you know, most people who die of a brain aneurysm don't even know it because it just happened so suddenly. So I interviewed with, believe it or not, Lala Anthony's one of my dear friends and her husband, Carmelo Anthony. And Carmelo had found this doctor who had supposedly done this surgery many times. And when I say many times, it was like only like 1,100 times at the time. It doesn't seem like that much now, but it's not like a root canal, right? Or a dentist appointment, yeah. it's like brain surgery. He said, listen, we can do this. You're going to have to go through your leg and, you know, do a coil and hopefully get a stent in there. But we won't know till we get in there because it's too hard to go through your brain. It's too massive, too big and a bad place. And of course, I did the surgery. But the day before, I remember I, my family was traumatized. It was a week away from my convention. That's right. When I went to the doctor, the doctor was like, well, let's schedule surgery right away. And I was like, well, I can't because my convention's next week. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't go to a convention. You can't fly anywhere. I said, no, no, no. If I've had this aneurysm for some time, which I have, clearly, I can make it to next week. I'm going to this convention. I'm going to perform. I'm going to do what I come to do. And then I'm going to land back in New York and I'm going to do the surgery. My husband said, are you crazy? Do you understand? We've been doing this 25 years at that time. We don't have to do this right now. We can skip going to the convention. People will get it. I said, no, I won't get it. I'm going. I got on that plane and I went, I told the doctors, as soon as I land, I'll come straight to Mount Sinai and check in. And I did. And I remember the night before I wrote my husband a letter and I said, listen, I don't want to talk to you personally one-on-one about this because I don't want to put anything out there, but positive vibes. And my daughter at the time, you know, she was traumatized, you know, my only child, she was traumatized. Like my mom, my, the beast of our family, the one who holds it all together, just like my mom. I said, Amber, everything's going to be fine. The only option is to do the surgery. There is no option not to do it. I'm going to recover from this. And we're going to put faith over fear. Faith over fear, Amber, because without faith, we will not recover. But with fear, we're definitely going to fail. You know what I mean? And so I put this mantra up on Twitter. Back then, Twitter was really big. And I put faith over fear. And all my girlfriends, Kim Kardashian, Courtney, everybody. Everybody reposted it everywhere. Jennifer Lopez, everybody was reposting it. Page six picked it up. Everybody picked it up. It kind of went viral. And it was an amazing moment because I had so much support, so many people pushing behind me. And I remember going in there that morning and I told the doctor to the side, I said, do me a favor. Take me really quick this morning. Don't give my family a lot of time to cry or think about it. I don't want them to worry. It's already hard enough. I wrote my husband a letter and I gave it to him the next morning. I said, read this. I don't want to talk about it. Just say yes to everything. And he said yes to everything before I went in and I told the doctor, take me fast. And he did. And when I came out, you know, uh, I think my family was just, of course, overjoyed as I was. 
But I really believe that our faith and the fact that we had so much belief in the doctor and belief in our thoughts that I saw myself okay. I thanked God in advance for my recovery. And I think it's a lot of the part that's gotten me where I am. I always thank God in advance for helping me get where I need to be. Like, thank you, God, for in advance for getting my kids there safely. When I get on a plane, the first thing I do is I thank you, God, for getting me to my destination safely. I see it in advance. I thank God in advance. And some people say, oh, that's crazy. You're not even there. What well, works for me? At a challenging time, you know, it was comforting to have all my friends and family around me. I remember Serena had just won her gold medal at the Olympics and she came to see me right afterwards and she brought that medal to my house. I think there's a famous photo of me and Eva and, and Serena and she had that medal around my neck and it was like, I don't know, three or four days after my surgery. And it was amazing because you really realize your tribe, your family, your friends, the people who comfort you, the people who are there for you, the people who reached out. And I really believe that people were the ones who made the difference in the world. And so anytime I've had a struggle with anything in business, personal, I've realized that the answer is people and people can fix anything if they come together. They really can. I mean, even the faith that you've had going through such a difficult health journey in your own life, you kind of do that in all aspects of your life, even in your business, right? And I think it's important to visualize positivity and be clear about living in a moment, whether it's like you're launching a new business and you're thanking God or whoever you look up to for the success. It's like really living what is to come. And I think, you know, you having that positivity going through such a tough time and also doing that in your life and business is really empowering and very inspirational. Oh, thank you. It was a really challenging time, but I often say, I think it happened for a reason, maybe to slow me down for a minute, maybe to, and I see life totally different today because of it. I am grateful for the experience. I'm grateful, you know, that I'm healthy. I'm grateful that I get to spend more time. I gave my doctor a watch after he operated on me, a very fancy watch that he wanted, that he talked about for many, many times I'd talked to him and he didn't know I was going to give it to him. And on the back, I engraved, thank you for giving me time. And so I think we don't understand until you go through something in life, how important that clock really is. And so, you know, as much as I hate clocks, I make sure they're around me everywhere I am. Why? To remind me that it's not going to stop for any one of us. Mm -hmm. And you just never know, you know, how much time you have left in this world, like what you said early in the interview. So exactly. And that's why I'm, I'm really proud of you. When I looked at some of your work and what you're doing, when you put passion behind something, you know, Yasmin, anything is possible. Yes, exactly. No, thank you, Lauren. And I want to be mindful of our time, but I have one last question that I'd love to get your thoughts on. You know, you clearly show up as an amazing leader, as amazing wife, as amazing mother to your daughter, Amber. You know, there's so many women listening who want to run that business or take that career change and also have a family. What has worked for you kind of integrating both your personal and professional life when it comes to kids and running a business? I'm going to tell you, people often ask me that, like, what's the magic formula? I wish I knew it. I'll be really, really honest with you. I think, and this is going to sound strange, but, you know, Jennifer actually and I, Jennifer Lopez and I talk about this often. And I remember one time we were in Vegas during her residency and we were sitting in the restaurant and we were talking about like mom guilt sometimes. And we were talking about because her Amber's older than Emmy and Max, of course, and now that she had Emmy, because when before Emmy and Max were born, she used to always say to me like, oh, you're, you know, you're too lenient. You're too this, you're too that, you know, and then <laughs> until you become a mom, she'd be like, when the babies, when the twins were born, she was like, I'm sorry for all the things I said. I was like, so it changes? 
Exactly. And so you realize like, you know, what it's like that you break the rules and you bend things and you do things differently. And, you know, we were talking about it. There is no perfect balance, but let me tell you what I've learned. What works for me is my normal. For instance, I used to try to do things perfectly when Amber was growing up. I'd be like, okay, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays are no matter what, we're at home, we're not going out, we're here for you, whatever it takes. Wednesday nights was mine and my husband's night out in Miami because that was always a big night in Miami. But no matter what, every single night at 6.30 p.m., and that's so early now when I think about it, but at 6.30 p.m., we'd sit down as a family and have dinner. And I always made sure that we sat in the fanciest dining room in the house and the fanciest stuff because I wanted to be different. I wanted to grow up and use our things. And I'd worked so hard for them. I'd worked so hard to have the most beautiful dishes in place. And I know it seems so foolish, but it nothing made me smile more seeing my child eat on the prettiest plates in the house and sit there with her at 6 p.m. and listen to her stories about what happened at school. Not because I asked her, but because we had the time that she sat there and talked about it. Because truthfully, when we sit there with our friends or our children, or even if like, you know, you're talking to your girlfriend and you say, well, what happened last night? Tell me everything. She doesn't, she always leaves out some part of the details that she forgets <laughs> to tell you. But if you're sitting down with your child and there's no phone and there's no devices like there wasn't back then, the conversation would just happen. So we had great conversation and every night that was my ritual that we would stay home and have dinner together no matter what. And every morning, no matter what, I told Jay, I'm driving to school. I'm driving to school. It's my obligation to do what I want to take her. And then it got to the point where, you know, I would sleep so late. Jay wouldn't let me drive, but I would ride in the back seat with her. Oh. And I would ride to school with her. And then whenever I went out of town, I made it a rule that she's going with us. We would take her out of school. So we had to deal with the school. As long as she had straight A's, she would be able to travel with us unlimitedly, which she did. And I was grateful for that. But when I look back and people would come into our house and as the years progressed and marketamericanshop.com became more and more successful, it's hard to live by the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday rule, right? So things would change. So sometimes dinner would be 10 o'clock at night or bedtime would be 1130 for her. And people would be like, oh my God, that's so late. I would never put my bed, a child to bed at 1130. Well, guess what? That was normal for me because whatever I worked out for my family to spend time with each other so we could fit it in and not miss out on each other was my normal. And like I said, when Jennifer and I were sitting at that cafe in Las Vegas during her residency, I'll never forget, you know, we were sitting in one of those curved booths and we both looked at each other and we said, you know what? We'll never know the formula, the magic formula, because we don't think there is one. But we know what? Our normal may not be your normal but it's the normal that works for us. And whatever it is that makes it work for you, then don't feel guilty about it. Whatever it is, if you're in a relationship and you're gonna get married and you don't get to spend every single day together, but you make it happen. And if you're gonna have to sleep less so you can see your fiance and then still drive two hours to get to work on time, if that's what it takes, that may be normal for you. And it's probably not normal for the rest of the world, but if it works for you, then do it. Don't feel guilty about it. And I always say, like, don't have that guilt. Just make it work. Little adjustments. I remember when I would take Amber to school sometimes, we'd get to the class, pull up to the school. You know, Lenny Kravitz and Zoe Kravitz went to school at the same school as Amber back then. Lenny would pull up and he'd be dropping off Zoe and I'd pull up, be dropping off Amber. We'd always talk. And then I'd say, hey, get back in the car, Amber. And she'd be like, why? I was like, we're going to skip school today. (laughs) We're going to go to the mall. We're going to do this. And when I think about those days, I think, and oftentimes she'll remind me, mom, those were the best days. 
Kids don't forget those things. People don't forget when you step out of your way to do something special for them. That's why I say always step out of your way to do something kind for somebody. Then when they least expect it, whether it be with your kid, your fiance, anytime Jared tries to travel, I try to drop a note in his little bag. So when he opens up his bag, the first thing he sees is a little card from me. I miss you already. You know, little simple things that you know that they won't want to ever live without and that remind them of you. And I think that's the way to leave your imprint, your mark, you know, make a difference. So what's normal for you and I, Yasmin, to succeed may be different than what it is for somebody else. And that's okay. You and I can feel good about it. They can feel good about what their normal is. And that's why I tell people, hey, if your normal works for you, that's amazing. I love it. But what's normal for me may not work for you. So don't be so hard to judge. I love that. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. I could talk to you and hang out with you all week just chatting. And I'll, so. come, I'll come back anytime you want. Yeah, part two for sure. Part for sure. Coming, exactly. I adore you. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us today. I'll talk to you soon, sweetie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.